GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. January often sees a jump in divorce rates as social and financial pressures put strain on couples. Relationship and psychosexual therapist Fabio Dapice joins us to talk about some of the things that you might consider if you yourself are going through some difficulties in your relationship. Are you attempting veganuary this year? Vegan business owner Romina Mayani Nankani is here to help. And Viewpoint returns to GBC television tonight, looking ahead to the big stories likely to dominate headlines in 2024. Roz Astengo joins us with the details. But first... The General and Clerical Association has welcomed the news that 61 administrative assistants have been recruited by the government. However, it still has concerns that the AAs are undertaking administrative officer work without remuneration, so a higher grade of work without the money to reflect that, according to the GGCA. The union says this is especially concerning given that many AO posts have been downgraded to AA posts, meaning that there are fewer promotional prospects. With more details now, the GGCA president, Wendy Cumming. Well, I think it's uh, it's quite simple. Um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, part of this has been, um, you know, uh, an oversight on my part, um, because well, in 2011 there was the commitment that um, the clerical grades, the complement, would remain the same. Um, so we did exercises, you know, periodically with the estimates book, um, you know, just making sure that you know the overall figure of clerical uh, posts was the same, which it was. What escaped me was the ratio, obviously, of different grades. And over time, the ratio of administrative officer posts and um, administrative assistant officer posts has changed remarkably. So um, whereas um, in 2011, we had like four or five um, administrative assistants. Now that's gone up to over 75 and you see the downward trend in the administrative officer grade. So one has gone down by about... Uh, there is a, In our records, there is a little bit of a discrepancy. We're looking at le- 84 less AO posts and 75 more AA posts. But the work is the same and the work is being done. So um, we've done a lot of work on this because we had a general meeting in July last year with our AA members. Following that, we had an exercise where AAs would write in telling us the type of jobs that they did. Um, It seemed to us that it was true that they were working consistently over and above their job description. They were undertaking, in effect, AO roles. So um, we we had a we asked for a legal opinion to make sure that you know an external legal advisor could um, you know clarify the position for us. Um, We got that. At the end of August, we met with industrial relations in number six. We explained our position. We um, received the uh, legal opinion. Then, of course, we had to wait for the general election. We had to wait for the portfolio, the industrial relations portfolio to be given out. Once we had identified the Minister for Industrial Relations, we had another meeting with the Minister for Industrial Relations. We were able to give him the legal opinion and explain our position. But unfortunately, since then, 
um, you know, even though we've sent repeated emails um, requesting feedback and requesting, you know, a substantive reply on the issues, we've received nothing to date. Right. Now, let me, there's a lot to unpack, I think, in what you've just said. But uh, one of the things that you said early on, and, and forgive me for, for highlighting this, but you said that you were consulted about the change by the government. You had an opportunity to, to influence how that went, but you didn't spot this change. And now that makes your position harder now, not to try and influence it once it's, the decision's already taken? Not at all. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I think you've completely misinterpreted what I said. Um, what, I'm sa- what I've said is, is that I didn't spot it, which is why we've never um, uh, come out with it before. It's just that we haven't spotted it. Not that there was a consultation on this. Of how would we ever say yes ah. to downgrading of 84 posts? That, is, that, that would be unthinkable. Ah, okay. It's so, kind so... of happened surreptitiously without us noticing. Our our fault has been in the not noticing because sooner. we were looking not at noticing sooner because no? we were looking at the overall figure rather than the ratio of each grade. If you see what I mean. When you say that you were looking at it, you were looking at it from um, announcements that the government or, or comments that the government made in public. No, 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 no. Um, what what we are looking at is is uh, this was a purely. A self-motivated GGCA exercise where we we uh, look at the estimates book and just to make sure that you know we're keeping the clerical grades um, um, you know on par with 2011 uh, figures. So we do it periodically just to check. So you know right. we, we, it, it's just like kind of like a, an internal audit, nothing to do with consultation with the government. We do it for our own information. So um, we've been we were doing that, but we were just looking at the overall figures. Um, obviously, if at any point the government had come to us and said we're downgrading AO post, there's no way we would have agreed to that. And okay. obviously, we would have raised the issue a lot sooner. Okay, so then what it is is that you are looking at the the total number. You didn't appreciate the difference uh, until now. No, no, until between... it was brought up by reps, and then when I when I went and I looked through it and I saw the difference in figures, I thought, oh my god, it's true. They're right. How could you know? And and for me, it was a moment of self reflection because I was thinking, how has how has this slipped the net? How and have I not noticed this? And that moment was a few months or weeks before the general election, you say? No, no, no. That was um, sometime around June, July. And that's when that sparked us convening a general meeting for our AA members. Okay. Last year? Last year, yes. Okay. And then you, you sort of, uh, there, there was an interruption in your conversation with the government while you waited for the new uh, industrial uh, relations minister to, to, it, to be yes. appointed. That's it. Okay. And, and you haven't heard back. It's Leslie Brousson, is it? Yes. No, we haven't heard back. We haven't had, and, and in fact, even, you know, in our meeting, I, you know, I look, we have to acknowledge that it's a new position. It's a new post that these things may be new. But I said, look, if at least we can have a date, but, you know, just write to us with a date by which you will give us feedback. And we didn't even get that. We've been waiting. This is since November. So unfortunately, you know, because we feel that we, you know, we can hang around waiting for a response only for so long. Um, what we did is uh, before Christmas, we said, well, if we don't have a reply by the 15th of January, we will convene another meeting and then we will work on the assumption that the government doesn't agree with the position because in the absence of an answer, you know, you will take it as an unfavourable response. But you're talking about it now because GBC ran a story and has sought your opinion. Uh, yes, obviously. I mean, I would have waited till the outcome of the meeting on Monday. But because yesterday I was called um, and, you know, I, I felt that it was necessary to clarify the GGC position on this issue. Because the recruitment of uh, 60 administrative, 61 administrative assistants would, in, 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 in the first instance, be 
welcomed as a, as a positive step. Recruit recruitment is is good. No, you get more more workers in, but but now you're also just making clear that you're you've got a problem with it if what it means is that there are fewer administrative officers and AAs are doing AO work. Um, absolutely. I mean, of, of course, as a trade union, we welcome recruitment always. And the filling in of vacancies is absolutely essential in departments. Some departments struggle carrying so many vacancies. So, um, yes, absolutely. But what I feel, um, and I, the reason why I, per, I personally am invested in this, and the reason why I'm personally invested in this is because when we called the general meeting um, in the summer, you see, you know, young people coming into the, the clerical grades, very enthusiastic, articulate, intelligent people that you'd want to foster and make sure, you know, that they have a long term career in the civil service, that they're well looked after, that they, you know, that they can use their skills and talents. Um, when you see something like this and you see that genuinely they are working over and above that the AA job description is pretty much redundant now. But they're still being taken on, and you, and you then also see, you know, that there's no money, and we're in a bad way. But you know, there are posts coming out at the top, very well remunerated, but there's money for that. Um, and sometimes, you know, people being taken on in high positions from the private sector at enormous, high, highly inflated salaries. Um, you know, and then you say, but there's no money for these people. These are the the you know the the workers at the coalface. These are the people who the engines of departments. You know that they're well-meaning. They're the hard workers. Why on earth is it happening to them? A little bit like, um, and if I can say it colloquially, no? Que se están aprovechando de los muchachos. The, the, los muchachos y las muchachas, the people who are coming in, doing the good work, they don't deserve it. Um, and, you know, and for me, um, for example, thinking of the meeting on Monday, if it's not very well attended, if we don't get a mandate from the membership, and, you know, we're not able to progress this matter as I would like, um, I would still feel in my heart that it's a big injustice. And I would feel that, you know, I haven't. Be, I wouldn't be able to kind of resolve this in the way that I would like. Okay, um, let's uh, take a, a step away from that position per se and talk more generally about um, what this recruitment might mean for the service that uh, civil servants and, the, and are able to uh, deliver. More generally, if we take it um, with the opening of all government counters in late October for the first time. Uh, in, in three and a half years, um, how has that transition gone? Does this recruitment mean that those are, are they related? You know, do, do you need the extra recruits to to sort of be able to give that service? Well, I mean, look, um, first, first off, um, I, we've been we've been in the situation, um, you know, before, and certainly um, I think before the you know the, the the big demonstration about supply workers, where there have been so many vacancies in the clerical grades. Um, so we're looking at 61 vacancies now. We've had more than 61, maybe 70, even up to 80 before. And if you look at any other profession where there'd be 60, 70, 80 vacancies, it's unthinkable. Imagine um, that there's. 60 less teachers, 60 less nurses, 60 less doctors. I mean, it's unthinkable. But always in the clerical grades, it seems that anything goes. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, is that, um, you know, and for me, it, 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 I feel a bit frustrated given the whole e-government issue that we've had with ITLD for so long. But um, when e-government was, was, was announced, 
and the closing of the counters, this was never, and I have to reiterate it again and again, this never came from the administration. This never came from the workforce. It was a political decision. And in fact, there were several counter openings that happened because the workforce contacted GGCA and GGCA made representations to have counters opened albeit at reduced hours. Because for many of those workers, dealing with uh, uh, concerns and dealing with the public via email with insufficient uh, e-government infrastructure meant that they were their work duplicated two or three times. They weren't and, happy and, with and, that and arrangement. And to have a worker saying, please, please, we need a counter, we need a counter. I mean, my goodness. Um, you know, and, and then being blamed for the closure of the counters. That whole situation has been unfair from start to finish. The situation of the counters has been unfair on workers from start to finish. And then if you add on to the fact that a lot of the people working those counters will be AAs, and it's not, working counters is not in the AA job description. It is only in the AO job description. Again, you start thinking, oh my goodness, there are so many things wrong with this. All right. And um, in short, Wendy, uh, how has that move gone for the civil service, do you think, the reopening of the counters? Well, I think that for a lot of, um, for a lot of uh, uh, people who were struggling with, 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 you know, closure of counters, who were struggling with um, insufficient uh, um, infrastructure in counters, um, for example, there were even remote counters. I remember DVLD was having to work from the post office um, when their offices are were in Eastern Beach, and how difficult it was for them to provide those services. Very long queues. I mean, so so I think for a lot of um, um, clericals, the counter issue has been very very difficult. Um, it is better now, and I, well, I think that certainly if we would ever move to um, e-government counters, that the transition would have to be slow. That the transition would have to be um, taking the workers on board, making sure that the services are spot on before any counters are reduced or counters are closed. Uh, we're not saying no to e-government, we're not saying no to online uh, 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 government services, we think that's good for everyone but it has to be done in a way that is good for the service user and is also good for the staff because if the workers get more work out of it, it you're not improving the services at all. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. This is a time of year that often sees a spike in divorce rates. The festive season can be stressful, and as it comes to an end, social and financial pressures can put a strain on relationships that perhaps were already fractured or, or, or you know, there were already some struggles there. But if there is still hope, what can couples do to overcome their problems? A question for relationship and psychosexual therapist, Fabio Dabice, who joins us now in the studio. Uh, good afternoon, Fabio. Good um, afternoon. So Christmas, is a it can be a beautiful time of the year, but it, it's not without its pressures. It's not without its pressure, and it actually becomes a container of, um, you know, all the difficulties that couples might have accumulated during the whole year, and they feel they have to even more hold and contain those difficulties. And, and we're talking about financial difficulties, as you said, also tension within the couple that might build up um, most of the time as well around children, children are around, they're not going to school. So that adds a little bit more tension. And normally the difficulty is how do we deal with differences? Um, how do we deal when I want this and you want to do it differently? So it's, there's always one of the two of, of the couple that 
tends to dominate or tends to submit to the other ways of doing it. And that brings up a lot of resentment, a lot of anger. On top of that, um, sometimes there are difficult relationships with the family of the partner. Not always is a lovely encounter to, to see even your own family, actually. It's not always a nice thing, even if in society, at societal level we, we think about Christmas as a family time, but it adds up the difficulties and the dynamics that might be already difficult with any of the um, partner's family. And, and that also brings a lot of tension. Yeah. So, so given that it's a, a particularly, shall we say, different yes. time of the year with, with its own peculiar um, traditions yeah. and, and, as you said... You and said, expectations. Maybe, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, is it a bad time of the year to make a big decision about your relationship? Um, I, I notice couples, either they break up in November or they come to me in November, which because they, they already had the difficulty last year, so they're not really willing to put up with it again. Um, or you see right. them after Christmas. Um, it's a bad time to break up. Many couples try to hold if they don't break up before. Um, and I'm saying break up, but actually when they get to a point where they really realize they need help or it's the end of it. Um, is is that when you tend when couples tend to come yes, to you fairly late on in, in that process? It is quite late because everybody likes to know that you know we all love the idea of being able to put up with things or to be able to adapt and and be independent. But the reality is that it gets to a point, and normally it's a major event like um, you know with drinks with people. You know maybe the partner goes out, they get drunk, and they come back too late, and the other partner is worried. You know a major event might be the trigger um, normally. But, um, but sometimes, you know, there's, um, there's other type of events as well. And those events sort of layer on top of uh, the, pressure. the pressures that yes. maybe already existed, That's tensions right. between maybe one, yeah. one person in a couple wanting to do something a particular way, exactly. the other person having their own different way. thinking, exactly. but, but saying, I'll go along with you know, my wife. And then they build up resentment because their way is not expressed. And they, they're not coming to the fore. That's, that's something that we call the panel is not able to differentiate. Um, I see a lot of couples, and that's a very common situation where, you know, couples go through stages of development. The first stage is symbiotic stage. It's where, it's where you build up the couple, together. stay together, it's the falling in love stage. It's wonderful. You need that. But then if, you know, it fades away, it goes away after between six months to two years. And, and the major mistake the couple makes is that they want to go back to it strongly. So... And, and rather than dealing with their differences, the partner all of a sudden is not the same as before. It's not as they thought they were. And they're searching something that can't really be recreated? Exactly. Because it's a, about a journey, Absolutely. No? It's a projection of the idea, uh, the, the idealised partner that they have or that they had for those months. And now they're actually seeing their real partner. And that's very difficult sometimes to take in, to take in for them because they might say, oh, you're too different from me. And people, when they see differences, they get scared. They don't like it because what does that mean? As a society, we're not used to actually dealing with differences in the other. And that's at the basis of many processes like racism, homophobia and all of it. So we, we like similarity and we need to... Whereas actually with differences, we learn a lot. And, and having a good, strong relationship means accepting, be curious about the partner's difference and, you know, accepting it as it is rather than try to change them. So, yeah, like two people who are different but can work together with their different um, approaches. Correct. As a couple, they may be stronger than yes. they might be as individuals if they've exactly. got complementary exactly. views. But also that sparks, again, the passion because if you keep having an image and an idea of your partner, you get bored quite quickly because you think you know what they like and then you think you can 
control them or put them in a place. Whereas if you're curious about how different they are and what is it about them that's different from me, or, or if you're able to express your difference, you know, you will feel more um, less judged, more connected to your partner, and, and also you might get more curious and that difference might spark some passion back as well in your relationship. So I suppose every relationship will be different, but are there some general principles that couples can use to try and work through these differences and try and make them work for the relationship? Absolutely. First of all, do not try to solve any issue when, when you're trying to explore differences first of all you know if you're trying to find a solution you're going to get stuck with the solution and it's only going to bring who's right who's wrong um rather sit down with it when you're calm when you're rested when you're not in your trauma response let's say uh when you don't feel overly angry try to sit down and try to listen to your partner carefully try to be curious asking why is that important for you why is this way um so fundamental for you um, and explore, be curious, without judgment, without making them feel ashamed, and without changing them. And then guess, you, you will learn something new about them, and they will feel not judged, so they will feel accepted, whole, held, um, and understood, which is what most of people want from the, their partner, to be understood. Sometimes it's not about finding a solution. Well, I mean, that brings me back to something you said at the beginning, which is very interesting, sensible, pragmatic but um i'll put to you maybe how realistic is it to think that uh, mm. a couple who um m perhaps is thinking about breaking up because they're having um yeah. problems uh to to think of it sort of in the way that you have uh, by saying like well no, yeah. we may end up breaking up anyway but, yes. but but let's talk to a therapist for a few weeks well, because we'll learn more about each other absolutely is, is that realistic though it is very realistic when i when i work with couples i always say to them i'm not here to fix your relationship i'm here to work with you and let me do my job first of all because sometimes they they replicate what they do normally at home and that doesn't work really um and it is you know uh, promising that i'm going to keep them together is not going to go anywhere um they need to be willing to get to the edge of potentially break up to to be brave enough to explore the difficulties that they might have. All right, uh, and Fabio, before I let you go, you're, you're spending your time between Gibraltar and okay. London professionally yeah. at the moment. How's Correct. that working for you? Good. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's, it's travelling, but I'm, I'm I'm managing as well with online work with the UK, so it's it's quite good. My private pr practice is here in Gibraltar. Um, where primarily I do see couples. Yeah. Remember to pack a coat when you head over to the UK. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> on Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. There are some stories which are likely to dominate Gibraltar news for the next 12 months, and I can think of one or two. But Roz Astengo has been, um, has been giving it considered thought ahead of tonight's viewpoint, Roz. So uh, I'm going to go with the obvious one, the treaty. <laughs> the treaty is definitely one that's uh, going to be quite high up on the agenda. I thought, though, with my panel, who I should say is uh, the GBC News Editor and the Chronicle Editor, Christine Vasquez, Brian Reyes. We've also got Yanita World blogger, Robert Vasquez, who's always got something to say on social media, on his blog. And uh, and also the Gibraltar representative in London, Dominic Searle. We're very fortunate to have him here because he's quite often in, in, in London. So yeah. 
I think the first thing we really want to talk about is post-elections. Where are we? Um, and, uh, you know, what, what's the mood, let's say, at number six and at GSD headquarters? Uh, and then we'll launch into the treaty and have some expert analysis, I think. And I think Dominic Searle will give us some good insight as to what the you know what the conversation what the dialogue is uh, in Westminster he, he's an interesting person um generally obviously he's got he's got great insight into news stories as as a as a hack of of many years yeah. but um now he's sort of at the at the intersection between the Gibraltar and British governments isn't yeah, he yeah yeah so he has a very fine diplomatic uh road to tread and or path to tread and um so he he his opinions will be his own opinions, but obviously he he may come in at a slightly different angle to the other panelists. But he he will offer us uh, quite a lot of insight. So we've got the treaty. We we can uh, we'll have some analysis on the chief minister and the deputy chief minister's um, um, New Year's Eve statements. Um, but then there's lots of other things happening this year. There's a, been a lot of talk about select committees. The two, I mean, there's there's going to be. Um, select committees on the environment and also on disabilities but i think the two ones politically to keep an eye out are the parliamentary reform select committee yeah quite a lot what are we looking about that in yeah the, at the election. i mean there's been a lot of talk about backbenchers is that what we're looking ahead to and also constitutional reform because uh, the chief minister recently gave evidence uh, in the house of commons uh, procedural committee on overseas territories and he he talked uh, about um uh, about because the UK has reserve powers over Gibraltar, and uh, so there was talk about removing those from Gibraltar's constitution. Is that again? Dominic Sell can give us some insight into what the view over there is about that. There was also talk about representation in in Westminster. Now I don't know if that's something that will happen this year, but it's certainly something I think that will be talked about. Of course, the other big story we've got is the McGrail inquiry that's starting mm. on the eighth of April, and it's all gotten very complicated. I'm sure a lot of people aren't, you know, even sure where we're at with that. So, so the, the 8th of April is when the main hearings exactly. in the inquiry are supposed to ha- start. Exactly. We've had five preliminary hearings so far. So it's just a recap of what where we are with that. Um, and of course, the other big news is we've got Sir David Steele, the old governor, is leaving. So we'll be reflecting on, on his tenure and we'll be looking ahead to the new governor. What kind of governor will uh, Sir Benjamin Barthos be? And let's not forget, the UK are likely to have a general election and Labour is way, way ahead in the polls. Mm. So what does a Labour government mean for Gibraltar? Um, so that's interesting. For sure. Um, and then, of course, you know, there are a whole load of projects uh, that the government has spoken about at the election in their manifestos, things that we can expect to start happening this year. For example, the waste treatment plant, we can expect um, the new development plan. Do you remember that's something, Jonathan, yeah. that's been spoken about for a long time? For sure. Well, I, I was thinking about it yesterday with the Development and Planning Commission sitting for the first time since the election. Yeah. And, and, no, yeah. I don't know where we are with that, because but there was no, a, a tender... Yeah. Uh, that went out a year ago, so perhaps I, that's I think something. it's some time off. It's such a big project. Yeah. My my own instinct, my gut instinct is that that's um, quite a quite a few months away. Still. Yeah, will yeah. we see that this year? I don't know. Uh, we've also got the construction of the new football stadium that's set to start in in um, in, in June, and that will be quite transformative. I think. Um, 
I don't know what's happening with the funding, though, so that's something we'll have to... So the latest on that was that there's a consortium of local banks that's going to um, lend money to... Yes, but I don't, know if, I don't know if it's been done yet, though. That's, right. that's, that's the only thing. Um, and I don't know how whether these things are... Well, how soon everything needs to be in place before construction begins, I don't know. So we'll we'll hear what the panel's got to say about that. And we have a list of other, you know, uh, topics. Don't add too many more because you're not going to get through We're not going to get through it, I know. (laughs) But there's a lot, I think there's a lot to look forward to this year. There's a lot happening. Um, But politically, it's also interesting to see what's happening with the GSD, with the government. You know, you do sense that... There, there, there is a shift in energy. Um, so it'll be interesting to hear from the panel about that. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be an interesting one. And, uh, and I thought it'd be a good one to kick off the, the new season. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Are you attempting Veganuary? Uh, if so, um, it's a uh, well. If, if if so, you'd know what it is. But if if not, then it's a challenge that asks uh, people who might ordinary eat some meat, some fish, uh, and um, uh, and basically to cut those out, cut out the animal products altogether, and eat uh, solely plant-based foods. Uh, and that's uh, the challenge. As the challenge goes, it's for the month of January to see if you can bring about lasting change in your diet. So um, good afternoon to vegan business owner Romina Mayani Nankani. And can I ask you, Romina, what are the benefits of a, a vegan diet Good afternoon, Jonathan. Um, I think, to be honest with you, like I was uh, when I was speaking earlier to Kalyan, um, I think it's about individual choices, to be honest with you. And a lot of people that are choosing to go on the vegan diet, it actually starts with a lot of dietary requirements as well. I think people just want to be able to have a bit more ease in um, eating certain foods that maybe just for example, with dairy, with gluten-free, um, nut-free, there are many, many options now that are available and it kind of just eases you into a kind of vegan diet, more or less. So um, th- there may be like ethical reasons for, for swapping, but what you're saying is, uh, you know, just give it a go and see if it works for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, to be honest with you, when we started our business, we didn't start off with an influential kind of atmosphere of um, you need to do it because this is wrong, this is right. I don't think we as as individuals can actually coerce anyone into thinking you must do some, something a certain way. But there are people who want to do it for ethical reasons. Some people want to do it for personal, other personal reasons. And I think having a one-stop one-stop shop or a, a place where you can actually get everything under one roof it does make a huge difference. And I think that's why we've never had any campaigning towards a certain particular way of thinking because you kind of open up the doors for flexitarianism as well. So it's it's pretty much that way. Yeah, um, so so what you mean is that uh, you, you're offering vegan foods, uh, but you're, you're telling people, come and try our food, even if it's as part of a, a, a flexitarian diet where you eat some vegan food, but also... Uh, some uh, animal foods definitely i think that is i mean we are very blessed that gibraltar is a community where people are willing to educate themselves and just as we started off this business we were educating ourselves on the benefits of it or what it can do for our well-being but never once would we think that we would have to do any campaigning to be very pushy 
if that would be a word that we could use. And and to be honest with you, it's it's wonderful to be able to have that flexible flexibility to choose maybe one day I don't want to have a particular kind of food or maybe I want to have the alternative to it. So I think that has been, it's been very rewarding to watch people do that as well. And nowadays there are more and more vegan foods available, whereas previously people might have thought of it as um, a fairly restrictive dietary choice. There are more and more sort of meat equivalent products, no animal uh, food equivalents. So, for example, a, a piece of meat, there are more and more vegan meats available, which look and, and sort of resemble traditional animal meats. No? Completely. And I think there is where we've been questioned many, many times. Like some people will say, look, we don't actually understand. If you're going to have the alternative, why not eat the real thing? But I think, again, it's a lot about your choices really and i think because we are very much about helping people have the choice it's really up to the individual to decide what's what works and now yes you do have a lot of alternatives which taste almost like the real thing um but it it's i mean it's it's booming it's an industry that's booming pretty big right at the moment and and there are also sort of um scientific um health reasons for for not eating too much animal uh, fat and 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 there are uh, good reasons for for thinking that we should all try and incorporate more vegetables into our diets you know, because of how rich they are in nutrients definitely i mean you'd have for example on a more personal basis my husband as well as struggled with his health for for quite a while and uh it was literally it happened and we thought you know what let's try this out and see if this actually is be uh, beneficiary for him and it worked pretty well with him. So I think it's, it's again, about educating yourself on what works and everything. Like in everything in moderation, I think it works well. That's why, again, we are so adamant in, in allowing people their individuality and flex flexibility once again in choosing what they wish to do. And if somebody is trying but finding it difficult, do you have any tips for, for keeping um, your diet interesting while trying to incorporate more vegan food? Uh, definitely work with your taste palette. Things that you enjoy, if you can find the alternative, then no problem. But I think start small always with your with your greens, with your vegetables and things that you you do like eating. And then slowly, slowly you can incorporate other things into your into your diet. Definitely. It has to be slow process. Sometimes people just go cold turkey, which is uh, it can be a bit difficult, but it takes it takes a bit of time. Just cold. to be patient with it. I, I like the pun, cold turkey. And, uh, <laughs> I was going to say. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for one as well. Um, uh, so what's the appetite like locally for vegan food? To be honest, it's growing. I mean, we have been open for about a year now, and I think our customer intake has, has grown. And the fact that we have... You're just off Main Street, no? Yes, we are on the arcade now. Um, and we've just opened a takeaway now, and to be honest with you, it's it it is growing. We ourselves are surprised because, I mean, you have the the initial thing of is it going to work? Is it not going to work? And I think just being able to have your product knowledge and being able to help people understand what we're doing, it does help. It it definitely does show its benefits. I mean, anecdotally, uh, I've noticed many more conversations about veganism and and people um, being more open, maybe to, to to trying some vegan foods. But I also noticed that some restaurants introduced some vegan foods onto their menus and have since taken them off. And I wonder whether it's because there aren't as many people going for them as they thought they would be. 
It could be. And and I think, yes, we have seen... Um, I think there are more people incorporating in different areas, but also maybe perhaps the demand is different depending on the type of restaurant that we're looking at as well. Because, I mean, we some of them have specific uh, foods, a specific uh, culinary choice as well. So maybe it doesn't work in that particular area. But you have got quite a few companies and quite a few businesses that are incorporating the vegan menus into their into their whole uh, restaurant or their whole catering business as well. So it is it is going up, definitely. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.